0: Sit down, bros. Yeah, thank you, son. How many of you were blessed by Pastor Ivy? How many of you already know you need to know more about him? You don't want his philosophies. You want to... But you know there's something there. Like, you saw him sneak a pocket knife into a place he shouldn't have it tonight, and you're like, I got to know what's going on with that guy. How many, how many, like, there's something going on in your spirit. You're like, I need to know, know more about how to walk in this. All right, couple things. One, you're going to find out more tomorrow, so come, come with expectation. Uh, somebody just asked me, if I can't be here, what's up? Uh, too bad. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> like, it, seriously, too bad, but, uh, but we will re- be recording these. I'm not sure how we're going to get them out. Uh, but we will have an opportunity. But, like, listen, if you've got to cancel stuff, cancel stuff. If you've got to get up early and make breakfast for your family, get up early and make breakfast for your family and get here. If you've got to, like, call your boss and be like, look, i got something going on, fire me. <laughs> All right, but uh, also, um, we don't have a lot. I think I have, like, three of these left, but this is Pastor Ivy's book. Uh, Becoming Man, uh, you can get these on Amazon. So like two days, you can have it Monday. I think they deliver on Sunday. You could probably order it tonight and get it to your house on Sunday. So go ahead and order those. Uh, Make sure you do that. If you want to discover more, you want to jump into this, you want to dive into this. So listen, uh, I am unapologetically a history dude. I believe that by understanding our history... We understand our present and our future. That what God is doing in the earth is not brand new. He's restoring us back to what he started with. And so I believe if we understand our history, we understand what God's taking us to. And a lot of times we forget our history. I want to share with you a history story. Like, I'm such a history weirdo that I will put clothes on from another era and go out and shoot, thanks Art (laughs) go out and shoot black powder with some other dudes and throw tomahawks and all that kind of stuff I've been tempted to put a loincloth on but my wife says no (laughs) Pastor Ivy shared wisdom with us she doesn't want you to show up naked or in a loincloth she wants you to lead her but I want to tell you some history about this region that maybe you didn't know I didn't know it Growing up, nobody taught me. On September 14th, 1763, 15 miles from here, just 15 miles north, the very first violent labor uprising in the northern hemisphere occurred. What happened was there were wagons that were coming, a wagon train coming from Fort Schlosser that was just above Niagara Falls, 12 wagons I think. And they were traveling down to Fort Niagara. It was a British wagon train. They had an armed escort. And when they reached a point four miles below the falls, they came to an area that the Native Americans in the region had named Devil's Hole. And when they reached that area, there was was kind of like a ravine. And they entered into that place... And 300 to 500 Seneca warriors unleashed an ambush on a wagon train of 12 wagons with 24 men. And they killed all but three of them. Chaos ensued. Horses and wagons went over the ravine. Men were ritually scalped. And three guys got away. (laughs) One of the three that got away Uh, was actually the leader of the group. (laughs) His name was John Stedman. He was actually in charge of the transportation of goods across this portage. And when soldiers in Lewiston heard about it, about 80 of them, two companies of the 80th British Regiment of Light Armed Foot, that's a long title for some soldiers, leave Fort Gray near Lewiston to respond. And when they show up on the scene, almost every one of them was killed, massacred, again, ambushed again. And when another group of soldiers came out and found the dead bodies and found them all scalped and saw this entire decimation of two companies, they just got out of there as quick as they could. Here's the background. Here's why this is important. Not just because it's our history, but we need to understand what was in operation here. See, here's the background. Up until that point, when John Stedman was in charge, the portage, the, the place that you had to walk to get from either above the falls to below the falls or below the falls to above the falls, was controlled by the Seneca Indians. They had a monopoly with the French that were in charge to transport goods up and down the escarpment. Everybody know what the escarfment is? Okay. That's a weird word when you're in other places, but we, we're from here. And so they were given that responsibility, and 300 Seneca Indians were, were paid a lot of money to carry everything on their back up, up foot trails. And that was fine for when the French are here. you got to understand, everything that went on in the Great Lakes, in the upper Great Lakes, had to pass through that, that pathway. And it was a lucrative business. 300 guys made their living, and a pretty good living at that. But what happened was, when the British came, they're like, forget this, I'm not paying you to do it. Build a road. If you build a road, we can put it on wagons. We don't have to pay anybody to do it. We can just throw it on wagons, pay 24 guys to do it, and we can get a lot more goods up and down than on people's backs. And what happened was the the, uh, Seneca Indians became angry that their portage was taken. This is my territory. This is my job. This is my livelihood. They had a view that there was simply not enough for them. Senecas had that view. The French had that view. The British had that view. Everybody tends to have that view, that there is not enough for all of us, so I've got to get mine, I've got to take care of it, and it results in violence often, and this view can simply be described as a poverty mentality, and it's really not all about money. Like when we talk about poverty, poverty mentality, a poverty spirit, oftentimes, well, like that's that's for people that don't have money. But a poverty mentality is not simply just about money. I believe that the attitude of poverty, that there is not enough for you and for me to succeed in the kingdom, in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, is a a, a spirit like Pastor Ivy has been talking about that attacks men. And the reason why I want to talk about it tonight is this. There is a war in the spiritual realm for your future right now. Some of you, as much as you believe what Pastor I.V has shared for, with you, are going to reject what's coming over the next day because you believe that it's just not for you. And that's a poverty mentality. And listen, nobody likes to be told they have a poverty mentality. That doesn't feel good. That's not what I want. But I believe that this attitude has been a long-standing attitude, and it's affected people of this region for too long. I believe that literally there is a spirit that is over this region, and we're going to talk about it at the very end, that constantly says there is not enough for you. That's why people move to North Carolina. But see, here's the thing. No offense if you move to North Carolina, sort of. If you suffer with a poverty mentality here and the grass is greener in North Carolina, guess what? You're going to take that mentality with you. Because the truth is this, wherever God has placed you, whatever uh, area of authority He has given to you, whatever part of the kingdom you are responsible to rule over, there is more than enough for you. There is more than enough for you in the place in the kingdom that God has called you to. I believe that God has been and is currently bringing us out of this mentality. And the reason why we're talking about it here, tonight, because it's about you, but it's also about this region. And when men understand the attack that's against them, and they understand who God has made them in the earth, and they understand what's available to them, the kingdom shifts in a region. I believe that what God is starting this weekend in our hearts and will continue next year, we will do this next year, Lord willing. And there will be 400 to 500 men in this room. At least. We can rent chairs and push them real close together. is going to shift this region and we are going to walk in it see the opposite of a poverty mentality is an abundance mentality here's the good news children of God have full access to the abundance of their dad children of God sons of God have full access to the abundance of their dad there is more than enough for you you were created to have abundance and to have an abundance mindset. In other words, literally, what God says you can have, you actually do have. Understand, there's a, there's a, there's a, a nuance in those words. See, we, we believe often, like we'll agree, yes, whatever God says I can have, I can have. But did you catch what I said at the end of that? It's not whatever God says you have, you can have. It's whatever God says you have, you currently do have. See, we throw that can in there as like a qualifier. I want to talk about that tonight. The bad news is that this poverty mentality is, is a strong mentality. It's generational. Listen, if, you, if you're here tonight and you're challenged by this, just like take responsibility for it. But you, got, you, you can blame your dad and his dad and his dad. Not as an excuse, but you need to understand. Like this is a generational thing over our region that is stopping and getting broken tonight. It's strong, it's strong, but it's not strong enough. This poverty mentality is is not only strong and generationally strong, it's spiritual. Listen, it's not just about money, it's not just about do you have the things that you want. It's not just about how things are in the natural, there's actually spiritual forces trying to get you to believe that you cannot have what God wants you to have. You do not have what God has declared that you have. The enemy is interested in attacking us in this because he knows that if we can hear all the great stuff, but if we don't understand that it's ours, that we can lay hold of it, that we can possess it, that he can keep us from access to what's literally right in front of us. It's also a robbing spirit. This mentality unaddressed steals from people and steals from people, and steals from people, and steals from people. And I'm saying tonight, and I want you to stand with me and say, no more stealing. Oh, that was, that was okay. Listen, if you know a dude was coming to your house to take something, you'd at least lock your door. If you're a crazy dude, you'd leave your door unlocked and get your guns. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to identify this tonight because it's no more, no more robbing. It steals, listen, here's the thing. It steals from people in the world, but here's where, what's really pitiful. It steals from the sons of God, and it doesn't have to. So it's time for an attitude adjustment. <laughs> so uh, I grew up in a house where attitude was everything. Everything. My, uh, my brother and I often got into uh, disagreements. Anybody ever get in disagreements with your brother? And some of you who have been around, you've heard this before, but I think it, it just bears repeating. My, my parents would put us in the back hall and say, work it out. I'll be back in five minutes and of course as the firstborn leader I'm like all right here's how it's going to go and I'd have like I'd have it figured out you need to say sorry I'll say sorry like it didn't really matter like let's just get it figured out and let's get out of this back hall this is stupid and my brother and I won't tell you who which one because they're both in the house tonight uh (laughs) would just stand there like I don't want to talk to you they wouldn't even say that they just wouldn't talk and i just get madder and madder and angrier and angrier. So my mom came back or my dad came back five minutes later. They'd open the door. They wouldn't even get to say, hey, what would you figure out? I'd just be like, he won't talk to me. He's not working it out. You need to, like, let me go and punish him because he won't even deal with the problem that's between us. And my mom would say, Josh, you get to stay and tell my brother, I almost said his name, you can leave. And I'd be like, what is going on? It was because my attitude sucked. You could burn my house down, and if you were apologetic and genuine and real, you were good to go. But if you left your shoes in a place like, you know, not on the shelf, and you were a punk about it, you'd get grounded for a week. You just had to have the right attitude. I think God is adjusting our attitudes, and I want to talk about that tonight in the few minutes that we have. Let's look real quickly at Numbers chapter 13 and 14. Here's the background. God has brought the people of Israel out of slavery. He has literally saved them out of their slavery. It's a salvation experience. He delivered them by his power and by his grace. He brought them out of their slavery and into a journey to their destiny to their purpose, to everything that he had for them to possess, to the promised land. God brought them out. He actually brought them through a salvation experience. He brought them through a baptism. We sang about it. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. He brought them through the Red Sea, and it it was a symbol of the baptism that God wanted to do to bring them into their destiny. They were dead to their old lives. They were alive in God, and they were becoming his people. And he says, listen, I want you to go in and I want you to see how good it is. I want you to see and understand what it is that I'm bringing you into. He said, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. And that doesn't mean a whole lot to all of us, but I want you to understand. Honey and milk make ice cream. And if you don't got a problem with ice cream, I don't know what's wrong wrong with you. Like, how many of you know those sugar... And milk, like cheese and sugar, are the most addicting substances known to man. No, literally, scientifically, the stuff that's released in your brain when you get sugar is like crack cocaine. Cheese is the same way. There's some molecules in cheese that make you happy. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And so God says, I'm going to take you into this place of absolute abundance where I'm going to give you all the good stuff. And it wasn't just about what they ate, but he was saying, I'm taking you in a land where every single one of you will have more than enough. There was more than enough in that land for every family to succeed, every family to have everything they needed in terms of land, in terms of crops, in terms of wine, in terms of bread, in terms of livestock. There was not a place in that land that was not productive and useful and available to them. They were going to succeed. And the reason why he was doing that was to prove to the world that he was a good God. What he has given you access to is so that you can stand. What he calls you to walk into is to show that he is actually the God that is good and he wants to do it through you. And so he tells them, listen, go spy out the land. So the people select leaders from all the tribes and they send them into land. They go and explore the land. And some of you know the story. They bring back grapes that are so big that they have to carry them between two men on a pole, one cluster of grapes. And we get to this account in, in chapter 13, verse 25. I'm going to read a, uh, just a bunch of scripture and I'm going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it tonight. He says this. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses and Aaron and the whole community of Israel, Kadesh, in the wilderness of Paran. And they reported to the whole community what had been seen and shown to them, the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore and it's indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit that it produces. But... The people in the land are powerful and their towns are large and they're fortified. There's walls around them. We even saw giants there, descendants of Anak. And the Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Here's what he said. He said, let us go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer it. It is ours. We can have it. We can possess it. But the other men who explored the land with them disagreed. They said, we can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. It was a poverty mentality. There is not enough for us there. In fact, it's going to eat us alive. We won't eat from the fruit of it. There is not enough. We're going to be destroyed if we go to take it. And all the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. We're going to get into the idiocy of that statement in a minute. Verse, Chapter 14, Then the whole community began weeping aloud. They cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt, or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Go back to before we were saved. Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. And Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. And two of the men who explored the land, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephun, nah, <laughs> tore, his clo- tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, by the way, is the Lord pleased with you? He will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It's a land rich, flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless. Pray to us. They have no protection. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Verse 10, but the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. And the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me even after all the miraculous signs I've done among them? I'll disown them, I'll destroy them with a plague, and I'll make you into a great nation even mightier than they are. There were two reports about what was possible in God about what God had given and promised to his people and about whether or not they could possess it. And here's what it says in chapter 14, verse 24. It says this. God says, I'm not going to let anybody else in. But he says, 24, but my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He's remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their first full share Sorry, full share of that land in the King James version or the NIV version it, it translates it this way but my servant Caleb because he has a different spirit different attitude we'll talk about that do you know what Caleb means you know what the name Caleb means I love, I love how God's putting this stuff together Caleb means two things two things you get to choose It either means dog or it means faithful. You learn that you're not dogs tonight. So what are you going to choose to be known by? Caleb had a different attitude. What was the different attitude? What made Caleb different? Real simple, two things. First of all, he believed what God said because he saw and he heard. Look at Numbers 14, 22. It says this, Not one of these people will ever enter this land. They have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I performed in both Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again, they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. Listen, they all saw the same thing. The reports of the, of the spies that came back agreed the land is flowing with milk and honey. It's a great land. They saw the same thing, but they didn't really see. They heard the same report, but they didn't really hear. Jesus described it this way in Matthew chapter 13. You don't have to turn it there. It's the parable of the seed. And as Jesus is explaining this parable to his disciples, he says to them, listen, there are people... Who will not, who will see it but not see? Verse 14. This fulfills the prophecy that Isaiah says When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. Because the hearts of the people are hardened and their ears cannot hear. And they have closed their eyes. So their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear. And their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. That's the bad news. But l- listen to this. But blessed are your eyes because they see. Listen, blessed are your ears because they hear. Check this, verse 17. I tell you the truth. This is Jesus. Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. And then he explains the parable. Jesus says it's possible for us to see the same things, to see the things that even he sees and not really see. The, The difference is we don't believe that we can have what he says we can have. Listen, here are the effects of seeing but not seeing and hearing but not hearing. You literally miss the blessing that's right in front of you. The people of Israel at this point were, liter- were about to enter into, ex- like they didn't have to walk for 40 years to figure it out. It's not, that, it's not a 40-year journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. The the blessing is literally in front of them. They have the tangible fruit, literally the tangible fruit of this blessing to show. And they they see it, and they heard what God had. They saw the miraculous signs. They saw how God delivered them from the Egyptians. They saw how God had brought them into salvation and baptized them and provided for them in the wilderness, and yet they refused to see that God would bring them into the land. They could not see the blessing right in front of them. They they saw it, but they didn't think they could have it. Another effect is losing heart. Verse 13, 32 and 33. Chapter 13, sorry. 32 and 33. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who lives there. Does that sound like people who have lost heart? Like how many of you growing up had a dad that kept promising you something? Oh, come on, son. Put your hand down. And they kept prom like, Dad, hey, Dad, can we do this? Dad, can we do this? My son just today, I don't know what hit him, but he got, he got the shopping bug. He was like, hey, Dad, can we go shopping? Hey, Dad, can we go shopping? Hey, Dad, can we go shopping? I'm like, listen, let me not this son, my other son. He- I said, son, this this weekend I'm going to give you the whole schedule. And there is-, there is no shopping time in that schedule. I'm very careful not to promise him because how many of you, you've had dads that have promised you stuff and promised you stuff and it never happened? What happens when the- you lose heart? I can't have that. It doesn't become part of your promise. That, your heavenly father is not like that. He doesn't tell you he's going to do something for you and pull, and pull back. That's a word for somebody tonight. Somebody, You have stood on the promises of God for so long and you have not believed that you have entered into it and seen it and you are, you are being crushed by the idea that your, your dad does not care. And you're, all, you're, you're either at the point or you're almost at the point where you're like, you know what? It's just not going to happen. It's not is that is for somebody else. It is not for me. I am telling you, double down on what your dad has promised you for your kids and for your family, for your body, for your marriage. You can have it. We lose heart. We also start to believe lies. Literally, the things that aren't true become plausible, and they become our reality. Things that that cannot possibly be true, or we have no way of knowing that are true, actually become our reality. In verse 33, they said, we were like grasshoppers in their eyes, that's what we thought, and they thought the same thing too. How do they know what they thought? We start to entertain in our lives, like, like... Stuff we're like, oh yeah, that that I can't have it, and I'll tell you why because this, 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 and this. We don't even know that that's true. We just start making excuses. In fact, it wasn't true. If you if you go to the book of Joshua and Joshua chapter two verses eight through eleven, it, I won't read it all to you. But literally, what happens is the spies go back. They're about to take the land. They go into the city of Jericho. They meet a prostitute named Rahab who has faith, who hides them in their house. And it says that at, after she hides them and people come to find them, uh, she says, "I don't know where they went. They're but they're actually hiding on a roof." She goes up to the roof to talk to them, and she says, "You know what? We heard that you were coming. We heard what God did with you in the Red Sea, and we have been terrified for years that you would come." That's actually the truth. And so what happens is when we will not believe what God has said for us, that we can possess it, we start to believe really stupid stuff. And we think it's absolutely true and it's absolutely false. We get deceived not just about that thing but about all kinds of things we end up walking around in the wilderness for 40 years like chickens with our heads cut off blaming god for every one of our problems and everybody around us and we we all we got to do is stop and say god i believe that you'll take me in and that i have it if if you said i can have it i can possess it when we when we refuse to believe Sometimes the whole community gets depressed. Gentlemen, do you know that if you refuse to believe what God has said for you, you're bringing depression on you and your entire family? You actually start to bring depression on your neighborhood. Listen, because the church, and I'm not stepping on your toes to step on your toes, I'm stepping on your toes to bring you to freedom. Because the church of God has refused to believe what we have, what God has said we have, we have. We have not been the church of Jesus Christ triumphant in the kingdom in this region. And we have a bunch of pansies walking around depressed. And I'm not talking about you. But it's time to say no more. How you doing? Oh, man. Like, and we couch it in terms like, oh, I'm just telling the truth. <laughs> oh, man, I, I, man, I'm just going through it. I'm, you know, just another day. It is what it is. Don't, uh, I, don't want, I don't want to hear that phrase. It is time to stop is what it isn't. It is not what it is. It is what God says it is. Can you, all, can you all walk with me and just stop saying it? And can you get a little giddy up and go when someone else says it and say stop? Thank you, three of you. Listen, guys, if we're going to change a region, we've got to walk and talk together about what God has to say. And the lack of response to that last question tells me there's, there's a community depression not believing that it is what God says it is. And the three people that said yes have an attitude that's different like Caleb. Can you walk with me, men, and stop saying it is what it is? Yes. And can when other people say it, you very gently but strongly say it is not what it is? It is what God says it is, and it is what I make it as a son of God. The whole community gets depressed. <laughs> Look at verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 1. The whole community began to weep aloud and cried all night. Literally, a spirit of suicide invades. Verse, verse 2. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. They said, if only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness... It'd be better to be dead already. What? You want to die slaves? Or you want to die like halfway into what God has for you? Hopelessness sets in. Why would the Lord take us to this country only to have us die in battle and our wives and little ones be carried off as plunder? Wouldn't it be better to return to Egypt to go back to our slavery? A hatred rises up for leaders. Verse 4. They plotted amongst themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Listen, <laughs> when we will not believe what God says for us, when people who stand up and say, this is what God has for you, stand up and say it, when prophets and apostles and leaders and pastors and men of God stand up and say, no, this is what God's calling us to, the people, of, uh, uh, the people who will not hear that and refuse to hear it start to actually operate in the spirit of murder. I don't want you to have it, and I'm really pissed off that you said I, I should have it. And we start to say, I want new leaders. Later it says they talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Let's just kill them. Let's find some new leaders. And that's why people go from church mm, to church to church to church to church. Because one of their pastors had enough nuts to stand up and say, hey, knock it off. They had enough nuts to say, come come to my office. I want to talk to you about something. I want to come to your office, pastor. I'll go to another church. Well, guess what? God's changing the region. I got friends in this, in this house and I want to thank every leader and pastor that's in this place and honor you. I got friends in this house. Listen, we talk about y'all. When you show up here and I say, oh, you're going back to these conversations that we had. Hey, man, what brings you here today? Oh, I was at another church. You know, we're looking for a church and I say, what church did you come from? You know, I know pretty much everybody. Most of them are my friends and if they're not, I'll make friends with them because I'm a friendly guy. It looks like a phone call. Hey, pastor, guess who came to my house this week? What the heck happened? Any, make anybody uncomfortable? Because we start to hate leaders. Do you, know, do you, you need to know the price that leaders have paid for you to be here like like Pastor I.V. is standing up here preaching like powerful stuff. This didn't just come to him one day in a dream and he said, oh, that's really cool. There, it is literally a life and death struggle when your pastors, when your leaders stand up and this is how we ought to lead for our families. We ought to say, I'll die on this hill for my family. There are literally people that have invested life and death in this weekend. And it's, it's life and death spiritually for you. It's life and death spiritually for your family. It's life and death spiritually for your church and for this region. It's life and death. Listen, revival's not going to come if the church of God stands around going, oh, I guess we can't have it. Listen, you got to know you're a son of God and you've been ushered into this earth. You've been put in this earth to bring the presence of God wherever you go to bring revival because you're in Revival. Our bad attitudes rob those with good attitudes for a good time, for a long time. You know, Caleb got robbed for 45 years. Listen, God promised. He said it right here. We read it. And you think you've waited a long time for God to come through. (laughs) Caleb waited 45 years. He was 40 when he explored the land. He was was 40 when he explored the land. He had to wait 45 years years to get his promise listen your refusal to have an, a spirit that goes after what God has that says I can not only believe that, that what I see but I can also possess it your refusal to do that robs your brother robs your leaders for a time for a time from what God wants to give them look at your neighbor and say you better stop stealing from me bro Now, the great news is Caleb had a different spirit, and he kept it for all those 45 years. We're going to talk about that. You with me? Listen, what made Caleb different was he was willing to see and to hear, but really what made him different was this. He remained loyal. God said he remained loyal to me, or he followed me wholeheartedly, or he followed me fully. Ivy, I love you because you quoted one of my favorite verses. Blessed is the man who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. See, every time we get spiritual revelation and we don't put it into practice, we become more religious and less useful for God. Every time. God does not give you revelation of who he is so you can go, wow, that was great. He gives you revelation of who he is so that you can walk it out in the earth. Every revelation of God is actionable. And the, the action might be falling on your face going, you're amazing and I'm, my voice is like just declaring your goodness and praise. Listen, that, that affects the earth. When we stand in this place and when we sing and when we raise our hands in worship, when tomorrow it looks different than it looked tonight. When tomorrow night we sing again and these altars are full of guys going bananas for Jesus, ape nuts for Jesus, going all David, King David. Like, don't strip down. That's just weird. But like, like sweat Like like... Put some effort into it like you need to take something off because you're getting hot. You know what I'm saying? Because he's worth it. That, that creates atmosphere. That changes a region. That changes the atmosphere in a room. We, when we start to declare the praises of God, what happens? Book of Acts. This is not my notes. Book of Acts, when the Holy, when Holy Spirit comes and pours out a, a baptism on his people, they start speaking in languages they never heard. There's that sound that enters. And flames are over their heads. People come from all around going, are these dudes drunk? Because I'm hearing them talk all kinds of crazy things about who God is. But you know what? That's changed the atmosphere in that city. And a dude who was afraid a couple of days before, who couldn't even stand up to a 12-year-old, who couldn't say something, stands up before everybody. And I don't, I don't think it was like the 12 of them were there and they needed an answer. And all, all 11 stood back. And Peter's like, oh, I guess I got to do it. Peter stood up and he says, listen, I'm going to tell you what it is. And he got in people's faces. And 3,000 people came to Jesus. You better believe that city was changed in a day. Check this. So we just got to sit on this for a minute. Jesus was in and out of that city a bunch. I don't know how many days. I, I, somebody probably calculated how many time he spent there. And listen, all of eternity was changed because he was in that city. Right? I'm not preaching heresy here. But the change was manifest in the earth when the men of God, full of the Spirit of God, stood up and did what God had called them to do. Jesus said, it's better for you that I go. When we are willing to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, do whatever he says, we are able to take it. G- or. Caleb said, do not rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people and the land. Their only help pray to us. They have no protection. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Just before that, he said to all the people, the land we traveled and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It's yours. You can possess it. You can rule over it. You are able to take it. Listen, there's a spiritual and a physical inheritance, and it's too long that we have only settled for a spiritual inheritance that's coming someday by and by. That is literally just an ancient form of Gnosticism that's alive today. When we relegate the things of God to the purely spiritual, we miss... Y'all got real uncomfortable a second ago. Is it just the big word, Gnosticism? All right, Gnosticism is an idea that knowledge is superior, and one of their tenets is that everything spiritual is good and everything physical in the body is bad. And it's heresy. Listen, God created you with a body. And your destiny is actually to be re-embodied. He is going to give you new and heavenly bodies. You are not destined to be a spirit wandering around in heaven, floating among the clouds, listening to harp heart music. Your future is, a, is an embodied spirit with a soul, a new, better physical body, a glorious body, clothed in glo- white robes and gold robes and glory, but it's a body. And some of us are like, okay, well, yeah, that's good, but listen, do you know that right now your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? So what God wants to do in you spiritually, He wants to do in you mentally. He wants to do in you emotionally. He wants to do in you physically. There is a physical inheritance that he is calling us to. And when we refuse to believe it, when we only make it spiritual, we just sit around in Bible studies and talk about the good things of God, and we never do anything about it. And God is looking for men who are like Caleb who say, I am willing to do something about it. So what were the effects for Caleb? God says this, I'll bring him into the land he explored. You and I were created, we're designed to rule. Listen, we're, when we talk about this movement, I am for prophet, priest, king, word. sometimes guys get real offended when you say you're a king. Who gets to tell you that you're a king? You were designed to rule. How do I know? Because it's right back in the beginning. I'm going to look at it really quick. This is a creation truth. In the very beginning of human history, God gave his leadership to Adam and Eve, and by extension to all human beings. That means you look at, look at your name and said that's you too. Even before he created us, his thoughts were about us leading. Did you know that? Even before he created you, he was dreaming about it. This is what he said, Genesis 1, 26, and God said, let's make human beings in our image to be like us. Listen, they will reign. When God says, I'm going to make you like me, the likeness of God is to reign. Reign. Over the fish the see, the birds in the sky, the livestock, wild animals on the earth, the small animals that scurry along the ground. See, after God thought it up, he acted like the powerful leader that he is, and he put it into practice. He dreamed about it, he believed it, and he said it, and he made it happen. See, he's a good, purposeful, powerful leader, and that's what he did. Genesis 1, 27, it says, so God created human beings in his own image. If he created you in his image, your image, the image of God in you, one of the things is to reign. The image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And when he created us, he extended his leadership in the earth through us. We are his image bearers. And a huge part of that image is to carry the blessing and the authority to lead. Look at God's very first words to his human representatives in the earth. The next verse, 28. Then God blessed them. See, we treat leadership like it's a curse and a burden. People tell me all the time, Pastor, I can't believe you do what you do. Listen, I get it, and I know that there's stuff that I've said yes to, and i but you got to know something. I love doing what I do. It is my privilege and my joy, and it makes me feel alive. Listen, if I couldn't do this, if I couldn't lead, I'd get really depressed. <laughs> Listen, God bless him. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and govern it and reign over it. Every one of these blessings is a leadership command. The great news that God is God not only told us that we have to lead, that we're responsible to lead, but he also gave us everything we need to make it happen. Next verse, 29 and 30. Then God said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout this earth and the fruit trees for your food. And I've given you every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life, and that is what happened. Listen, you knew I was going to get here if you're from this house. God gave you food so you could lead. And you live in Buffalo, New York, so you got the best food in the world. Alabama's got some good barbecue. But you, I mean, come on. The problem is we fill our bodies with crap and expect to lead with it. When you eat half a pizza, you ain't going to lead your family the rest of the night. You know what I'm talking about. But he said, "I'm gonna, not only is it food, he's given us every good gift. See, God spoke the world into existence and he blessed us with his authority and his provision to make that existence matter to the earth. What he said happened and is still happening, even when mankind forgets its purpose. You men, look at me. You and I will not be the generation that forgets its purpose. You want to know what God thinks about it? Look at verse 31. God looks at the whole system he created, and he looks over all that he's made, and he says that it is very good. Before this, the verses that describe his creation, he looks at it and he says, it's good. But with man in his God-designed leadership role, he declares the whole thing very good. It should teach us something about all men. as you come more and more into your manhood in this calling. It's going to become more and more apparent to you. But you are opposed by the enemy. Satan will love nothing more than to steal and stall your calling and rob the earth of the specific blessing that you were created to be. Some of you heard that and you're like, I don't, I don't think that's true for me. Listen, you, are, you were put into this earth and created to be a specific blessing to this earth. Every man in this place. And I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you struggle with. I don't care what sin has beset you. Listen, God has spoken and he has put you in this earth for a creative purpose. And it's to bless the earth. It's to bless your family. It's to bless your church. It's to bless the region. It's to bless your neighborhood. It's to bless your, bu- your boss. It's to bless the economy of this region. God has placed you here to rule and to reign. And it is not only for you to believe it and to see it, it's for you to actually step into it. So listen, if God, ha- God has made you for leadership, you carry a measure of his authority in the earth, so lead. God dreams about your leadership. God will be faithful to his dreams for you. You better believe it. If God dreams it, he's going to make it happen. Listen, follow his dreams. Your God-given leadership is designed to expand. He who is faithful with little will be given more, so be faithful and expect more. God has all the provision you need for leadership in his voice. And his gifts. You can trust him by faith. The faith that unlocks every door to the kingdom to lead you and provide all you need and more. So take your needs to him and step out in obedience and faith. When you lead, God sees it as very good. So you need to start, we need to start enjoying the pleasure of God when we lead. Listen, here's the deal though. You're going to go home and try to lead some of this and you're not going to feel the pleasure of God. He's he's pleasure, he's having a good time watching this. But you're going to experience some opportunities with your wife, and opportunities with your children, and opportunities with your boss, and maybe some opportunities with your pastor. And you're going to step out and see, here's what, here's, what, here's what little boys do. We try it, and when it doesn't work, we say, I guess that wasn't for me. And a region doesn't get shifted when we try some stuff and then say, I got, well, I looked at it, and it was it's nice, but that's, that's for Pastor Ivy. That's for Pastor Josh. That's for his family. That's for some other leaders, another church. See, listen, God wants you to lead because it's not only about Caleb, but it's about his descendants. He says, I'm going to bring his descendants into the land. But it's not only about Caleb's descendants. He said his descendants are going to have everything. They're going to have their full share. But listen, understand this. What Caleb had to say was not just for his descendants. Did you know what Caleb was prophesying? Actually, every other young person in that, in that nation entered into. Everybody who was who was over, was it 20? I don't, I don't remember. Everybody who was old enough to know what they were doing when they rejected what God had to say about them died in the wilderness. That's what God said. And that's what happened. But did you know, God said to Caleb, your descendants are going to have their full share. Guess what? All the other descendants got it too. Listen, what God has called you to lead in is for your generation and for the next generation but you, you understand something, it's for my kids too. I need you to believe what God has called you to do because it affects me and affects my generation, my children, my grandchildren. What God does in you is not just for you. Your cooperation with a poverty mindset or an abundance mindset has long-lasting effects on the others around you. Do you know that Caleb was not even entitled to this land? Scripture says that Caleb was a Kenizzite. He he was sent out by the tribe of Judah, but at some point, he was was descendant from the tribes of Kenizzites. If you read back in Scripture, when Abraham was brought into land, the Kenizzites were one of the tribes that was there. At some point, Caleb's people were not part of the people of God, and they got adopted in. Caleb, uh, uh, Jewish tradition says, was a Gentile. He wasn't even entitled to it. And so when, when Jewish people read this, they say this is why the, the nation of Israel needs Gentiles who will tell us who we are, who will tell us what our possession is, who will walk with us into that possession. See, Caleb, who wasn't even by, by birth or by, by genetics entitled to it, was willing to believe the promises of God and say these are mine too, and so we can have everything that God has told us we can have. Listen, some of you tonight are saying, Pastor, you don't know. I am not qualified. My family background is not qualified. You're saying I'm too old and it's too late. I can't. My body does, won't do it. My family won't cooperate with me. My wife is a hag. Don't say that. You don't understand. I, like, my job won't allow me to do this. My neighborhood is bad, the one I came from. My credit won't, well, blah, 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 blah. Stop with the excuses. If you are a child of God, you have been adopted in. It doesn't matter where you came from, it matters where you are right now. And the truth is this you're a son of God, and so you are entitled to everything God says that you can have. We've got to understand. Listen, this is not a small blessing. We keep working for comfort. We keep, just give me the next little blessing. Like if I can just make it through the day and get to my chair and watch a TV show and have a good night's sleep, then maybe tomorrow will be a little better. And God's saying, you have missed the entire point of what I'm calling you to. It's not a small blessing. God says to Caleb, his his children will possess their full share. He and his children will have it all. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can have it all. Listen, give me, 40 years later, Caleb comes, it's in Joshua chapter 14, 15, no, sorry, 14. 45 years later, Caleb and Joshua are the only one of that generation, left. Moses isn't even with them, and they're conquering the land, and they have, so 40 years they walk through the desert. It's 45 years later, so they've been doing this for five years. Caleb has been warring for five years for everybody else to get their possession. He has waited 45 years for his possession, but he was willing, even in that moment, when they walked in, he goes, all right, I'm the first one in because God said I can have it. No, he warred with his brothers to get the land for them so they could have full possession so the descendants of other people's children who refused to believe God could enter into their possession. And five years later, he comes to Joshua and says, listen, hey, we've been doing this for a while. I just want to remind you, God said I can have it all, and I still want it. You know what he said? He didn't say, hey, you know what, I want these lush valleys. He said, remember the hill country where the giants are? It's still not conquered. Give it to me. He said, God promised I could have it. Forty-five years later, I'm str- God has kept me strong. I'm just as strong as I was when I explored the land. My arm is still strong. He, and he didn't say, so give it to me and let other people fight for it. He said, let me, he said give me the authority to go and get it, and I'm going to take it. He had the same exact attitude at that point. He said, it's mine. I've waited for it, but I've known all along it's mine, and my arm is still strong. My God has kept my arm strong, and I'm going to take it. I'm going to possess it. I'm going to rule over it. And that's what God gave him. That's what he gave him. 2 Corinthians through 22 says this, For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you. And he is God's ultimate yes. And he always does what he says. The next verse, sorry, Second Corinthians one twenty. For all of God's promises have been filled in Christ with a resounding yes. Listen, wait, just listen. And through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Listen, you have a part to play. You have a part to play. Listen, Jesus came and he said yes. He said the promises are yours. All the promises are yours. The problem is we don't even study the promises. But Jesus has come. He said yes. He said yes. He said yes. And we keep saying yes. Great. He said yes. But there's your part to play. Your part to play is amen. It's yes and let it be so for me. Your part to play is to say amen. It's to say I see it. I hear it. I believe it. And I will possess it because you have said that it is mine. 2 Corinthians 121, it's God who is enables us along with you to stand firm for Christ as he has commissioned us. And He has identified us as His own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the full inst- first installment that guarantees everything He has promised us. Listen, if you jump up and down and raise your hands and claim that the Holy Spirit is working in you, and you don't believe that all the promises that God has given you are yours, you're not cooperating with the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians four, sorry, one four through nine says this, and I'm getting ready to close. Paul gives thanks to God. He says, I always thank my God for you and the gracious gifts he has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through him, God has enriched your church in every way. With all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge, this confirms what I told you about Christ is true. Listen to this. Now you have, say I have, every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of your Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, he will keep you strong to the end so that you'll be free from blame on the day the Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says. And he has invited you, listen, he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Some of you need to let this sink in. If you get nothing else, understand this. Jesus has called you to partner with him in the earth. And some of you think that's heresy, some of you think it's not true. Listen, it, that's the poverty spirit robbing you of your possession. And it's time to say no more. And so God has brought us this place of decision tonight. Listen, I told you we'd talk about this and as I close, in the late 1950s, Buffalo reached a zenith of population. The city of Buffalo in the late 1950s had 580,000 people. Buffalo had some of the largest rail yards in the world. In fact, my understanding is they had the second largest rail yards. We had the second largest rail yards in the entire earth because of all the goods that came out of the Great Lakes and the Midwest were put on ships and they were brought to Buffalo that's why the grain elevators are there because all the, all the stuff that was grown in the Midwest was put on ships and brought to Buffalo and put on trains and sent all over the world Buffalo is a center of transportation and manufacturing and industry. But in the 1950s, something happened that changed our region. The Welland Canal was built. And when the Welland Canal was completed, it allowed ocean-going vessels to bypass Niagara Falls and thereby bypass Buffalo. They could go straight to the ocean without having to stop and pay somebody to put their goods on our trains. And Buffalo started its decline. Spiritually and physically, we saw it. Listen, here's the choice here. It's a powerful choice. We can live in the legacy of there is not enough. Or we can stand up in our generation and say, listen, whoa, 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 whoa. There's more than enough for me. And there's more than enough for you. And there's more than enough for you. Everything that God has promised us, we can have. We have a choice here, a powerful choice. Numbers 14, 23, God says, They will never see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who treated me with contempt will ever see it. The issue is our heart. What will we say about what God says about us? It's time for an attitude adjustment. Real simple. Will you believe what he has said about you? Listen, tomorrow, you're going to be challenged to believe some stuff about yourself that you're... You, I'm telling you, the enemy is trying to rob you of it. Tomorrow, is, he's going to say over and over again, this is not for you. But listen, we're not idiots. You're aware now. You're sons of God, and it's all for you. So don't give in to the lie tomorrow. Say, nope, I, I'm seeing it, I'm hearing it, and it's hitting me like something I've never known before. But just say, yes, God, I believe that's for me. But don't just say it. Literally, bring a pen tomorrow. There's going to be sheets of paper. Start writing down what you're going to do about it. Because if you really believe it, if you really see it, if you really hear it, then you will say yes and you will put it into practice. We have a choice to make. Will we possess it? Will we be willing to rule with God in the places of authority that he's called us to? If that's you tonight, This is how we're going to end. We're just going to say yes. Listen, sometimes it's just the first physical act. And this isn't where it ends. It's not like, hey, I came to the altar and that's it. Like, I'm going to go home and just, I did my altar thing. But there's something about getting up out of your seat. Listen, you're getting up out of your seat is saying amen. You're getting up out of your seat is saying I'm taking the first step. Caleb didn't know it all, but he said we're going to fully possess it. It's taking that first step into what God has called you to and saying I'm going all the way. So if you are willing to take that first step, if you're willing to say to God, I'm willing to put my feet where my mouth is, I'm willing to give my amen to your yes, I'm willing to possess what you say I can have because I'm a son of God. If you're willing to defy that poverty spirit and say I'm walking in an abundance spirit, I'm walking in an abundance mentality, then stand up and get right here and just do business with God. Say yes to God. Give God your yes. Your first yes is with your body. Listen, sometimes we make it so spiritual. Like, somebody's got to come lay hands on me. Somebody's got to, like, tell me something. I need an encouraging word. Listen, this moment is just for you to do business with God, to do business with Jesus, to say, I know that you've done it all. You have said yes, and you're just simply adding your amen. So whatever he brings to your mind in this moment, whatever it is that you have failed to possess whatever it is that you have felt is impossible in this moment just simply say amen to him just simply say yes right now do business with Jesus but understand this while you're doing this for you you're affecting every generation that comes after you, you are affecting this region and as men of this region as we do this together it all shifts tonight it all changes tonight because it's not two or three guys saying we're going after it. It's a group of men that are saying we will say yes to God over and over and over again until we have full possession. We will not let go till we see the promise of God fulfilled. And we are willing to wait 45 years if that's what it takes. But we're going to trust God to strengthen our arms. And when it's time, we will possess it. And I'm telling you, the time is now. believe tonight that Papa God wants to speak something over you. That because of your amen, you just need to hear these things. And it's the same words that he spoke over Adam and Eve. I want you to hear them in the full weight of the word of God spoken over you. The word of your dad that loves you. Thank you Jesus. The word of your dad that has said, I hear, I hear you what you're saying, son, tonight. I hear it. All of creation responds when your dad speaks. This is what he says to you tonight. I bless you. Be fruitful. Multiply, expand, fill the earth, govern it, and reign over. Be fruitful. I bless you to be fruitful I bless you to multiply I bless you to fill the earth I bless you to govern it I bless you to reign over I bless you to be fruitful I bless you to multiply I bless you to fill the earth I bless you to govern it I bless you to reign over I bless you to be fruitful I bless you to multiply. I bless you to fill the earth. I bless you to govern it. And I bless you to reign over. Papa God, we receive your blessing tonight as your sons. Fully entitled in Jesus to every promise that you have made. We receive it tonight. We receive your blessing tonight. In Jesus' name. Wow. God, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord.